begin. Cut your Bibles out. Ready to go to the book of Hebrews, I hope. Did I tell you I love the book of Hebrews? Yes. You know that by now, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I love the book of Hebrews, and uh, so we're, we'll probably be looking at it today, and uh, we'll see how it goes through Easter, if anything from the book of Hebrews lines up with Easter, we'll stay in Hebrews, but otherwise we may go to 1 Corinthians 15, but I want you guys to start thinking about Easter. It's still about, what, four weeks away? It's uh, the first part of April, but we need to start thinking about it. And what I want to, I'll, I'll just be honest what I want to try to do. I want to try to build a crescendo of thinking about Easter so that Easter is like a new start, a new beginning for us. And we have just about everyone back from COVID. And then we just take off from there. <laughs> that, that's kind of what I want to see. And so I'm going to emphasize every week, you know, that you invite someone, give you different tools to help you invite people uh, to our Easter services. But until then, we've got uh, the book of Hebrews that we're going through. So uh, like I said many times before, I love the book of Hebrews. It's a, it's a book about, uh, about Jesus Christ. And so I love preaching about Jesus Christ, and I know you love hearing about him. But the book of, of Hebrews that we've mentioned in the past requires us to kind of have a different mindset. So we are by nature and we are by culture Gentiles, not raised in the Jewish faith. And so it takes a little bit of effort for us to do that. And we'll do it gradually as we go through the book of Hebrews. But we know that their thought process were a little bit different than ours. Their thoughts when it came to salvation and forgiveness of sin was to think about the temple, was to think about the traditions, was to think about the law that they had, uh, that they had engaged in covenant with the Lord God, the Ten Commandments. And so we got to take that into consideration. And so I, I was thinking about that even this morning. What would Jews be doing at this time of year? They would be preparing for the Passover, right? They would be preparing for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is a week-long ceremony, and then Passover happens in the middle of that. And then at the end of that is the Feast of First Fruits, which we uh, know is actually the Day of Resurrection. <laughs> so those two go hand in hand. So they very much would have been thinking about what we're thinking about, but they would have been thinking about it from an Old Testament perspective, whereas we look at back and we see that Jesus rose on that Easter Sunday. And so we need to try to do this because they were tempted, right? We mentioned this in the last couple sections that we've uh, taught about. They were tempted to go back to their old way of Judaism. And they had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They'd heard about his sacrifice on the cross. They'd heard that he had rose from the dead. But they also realized that since that had all happened, they had still continued on sinning. And now they're thinking, what do we have to do? What do we have to do? Do we have to go back and offer sacrifices again like we used to at the temple? Or will Jesus come back every year? Will he perform a sacrifice? Because that is what they were used to in the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was a day where they would offer sacrifices for the sins of the people and their consciences would be cleansed because they knew that a sacrifice had been offered. They didn't have that anymore. And so one of, one of these 
aspects that we're going to be talking about is how Jesus' sacrifice was superior to the Old Testament sacrifices. But today we're going to drop back and, and continue on talking about Jesus as a superior messenger. Uh, last week we talked how he was superior to the prophets, to the men who were prophets of God. But this year we're going to be talking about how, or this week we're going to be talking about how Jesus is superior to the angels in every way. Jesus is superior to the angels. And so we want to focus upon that. We're actually going to go back and read uh, Hebrews again, chapter 1. So let's go ahead and stand and get those leg muscles working up again, get some circulation going. And uh, we're going to be focused on, on verses 4 through 12, but I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's so beautiful. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our, our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe with the word of power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and he makes a flame of fire, his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter and uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you shall roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same. And your ears, ears will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And they are, not all, are they not all ministering spirits, sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this just glorious section of scripture. It's so beautiful. It's so full of rich meaning and words. And sometimes it can be a little perplexing to us. So we pray that you will help us to understand this so that we might worship Jesus Christ the way he deserves to be worshiped. Give him honor and glory by our thoughts, our prayers, our singing, but also by our actions as well. And so teach us what it means that Jesus is superior to every messenger, even the mighty angels. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So as you're sitting down, you probably have your hand out in front of you, and it gives everything you know right away. I, I try to keep no secrets, and I try to never spring anything on you at the last moment. So you know very well, if you look on that handout at the lesson today, is that Jesus is superior than all messengers of God, even the mighty angels. And we're going to talk about 
how Jesus is superior in just a moment, but we probably need to talk about angels just a little bit, right? Just to understand what the contrast is, because that's really what this section of scripture is. It's a contrast between uh, angels, which are mighty creatures, and the Son of God, who is God Him very self. And so, uh, didn't you, don't you like the language of the, of the book of Hebrews, the way he writes? And I, one thing I just wanted to point out before we get into our talk about angels is that in, the, in this chapter, he uses, I think, at least five or six quotations from the Old Testament, which that's what you would expect, right, from some, for someone who is preaching to Hebrews who are used to have the, the Hebrew Old Testament. So let's go back to angels and talk, to the, talk about angels a little bit. There's some misconceptions, some ideas that we want to kind of clear up because the word angel means what? What does the word angel mean? Messenger. Messenger, right. It actually, at its base root, means messenger. And so this is where we, we talk about this all the time in our Sunday school class, maybe not Sunday school class, but our Bible study class, is that the meaning of the word really comes from the context in which it is found. In other words, it's really determined by the sentences, the, the paragraphs, the chapter that are surrounding this because... The word angel means messenger, but it can mean messengers in different ways. For instance, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is addressing a letter to the book of Ephesus, and he says to the angel in the church of Ephesus. And it's not meaning an angelic being, but it's meaning the pastor of that church, more than likely. So an angel can be a pastor of the church, the messenger of the church, the one who preaches forth God's word could be referred to as a messenger or an angel. Now, some people would just go ahead and translate that as pastor, but in the case of most of our versions, they kept it as the angel of the church of Ephesus or Smyrna or such and such. So it can mean a person who is a pastor, who's a messenger in the church, but also in the Old Testament, we hear the term the angel of the Lord. You ever heard that term? We, we hear that all of the time. We heard, we heard it in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. Whenever the bush is burning and Moses comes and there's someone who speaks from the midst of the fire and identifies himself as the angel of the Lord. And then he starts talking as if he is the Lord. And so sometimes the angel of the Lord just means that the Lord himself, either God himself or or Jesus in what they call a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. I know that's a weird, that's a weird word, but pre-incarnate just means before he was born, he appeared in the Old Testament at various times, and sometimes he is called the angel of the Lord. So the angel of the Lord can be a messenger of the Lord, can be Jesus in the Old Testament, appearing as a messenger for God, giving the message that God wants him to give. But I think it's pretty clear in Hebrews chapter one that the angels that we're speaking of, they are messengers, but they are created angelic beings. They are a different type of creature, right? <laughs> they are not human, they are not God, but they are angels. Angels. They are, uh, as one description describes them, they are an intelligent, moral, and spiritual being created by God who worship him and carry out his will. 
So these angels, they're created beings. They take different forms. There's different types of them, and we won't get into all the different types because uh, we, we just don't have that much time. But there are the cherubim. You, have you heard of the cherubim? Sometimes pictured inaccurately as something that looks like Cupid during, during uh, Valentine's Day. That is not an angel. That's not a correct representation of an angel. But a cherubim uh, was given the responsibility of guarding the entrance to the Garden of Eden. You remember the flaming swords that they have. Uh, they, are, they are mighty beings. They, they held two golden uh, swords and the cherubim had wings uh, stretched out over the Ark of the Covenant. If you remember the picture of the Ark of the Covenant and on top of the mercy seat there are two cherubim that have, I believe, six wings and they are covering their faces and covering their eyes and covering their feet. Um, you might have seen those on the Ark of the Covenant, pictures of the Ark of the Covenant. Another type is the seraphim. These are described most clearly, I think, in Isaiah chapter 6 where they have six wings. They fly and they say nothing but holy, holy, holy is the Lord of God. The whole earth is full of his glory. And as far as we know, that's all they do and that's all they will ever do for all of eternity. That is their job, is to worship and bring praise and honor and glory to God. There are other angelic beings called the living creatures we see in Ezekiel in the book of Revelation. Uh, there's only two that we know by name and that's Michael and Gabriel. Uh, Michael is referred to as an archangel. So it appears as though there's some hierarchy in, in, uh, in angel, angelic creatures, that there's those who are in higher or lower rank. Uh, we know that they fight battles for us in the spiritual realm, right? So Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we are engaged in a fight, but it's not with this world. It's with the present darkness. It's with the rulers in this, these other spiritual realms and that there are actually angels involved in, in that fighting. We can also broadly divide angels into two other categories, the elect angels and the fallen angels. And you might say, well, well what are the elect angels? Well, those are the angels God chose not to fall. <laughs> okay, they were the two-thirds of the angels that did not fall. The fallen angels who became demons are those who I think in the book of Revelation said that they fell and they followed uh, someone who rebelled against God who was Lucifer. That's the, I guess that's the other angel at one time that we knew their name was Lucifer. Lucifer was an angelic being who in many senses was right there at the very presence of God, almost guarding the presence of God. He was one of God's greatest creations and yet Pride got the better of him, and he decided that he wasn't content being a servant of God, but he wanted to be God and to be worshipped as God. And so he fell along with a third of the other angels. And they give us problems even today, don't they? <laughs> they give us problems. We, maybe we've become too uh, scientific, and we go by the science a little bit too much to realize uh, that there is a spiritual realm where there are angelic beings who are fighting battles all of the time. People are being tempted by fallen angels. They are being rescued by 
elect angels and helped out by elect angels, just as verse 14 says, that these angels are all ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. The good angels are here to help us. And so angels are tremendously powerful uh, beings. How powerful, I do not know. But when the Assyrians came to attack Israel, the angel of the Lord, which could have been an angel or it could have been Jesus Christ himself in a pre-incarnate form, defeated 185,000 military men all in one night, right? So these, these folks are powerful. I say folks as if they were human. They are not human. Another thing about the fallen angels, they have no means of salvation, right? We should let this sink in a little bit because we do. We have a means of salvation. Jesus Christ came as a man to die on the cross in our place as a substitute for us so that when we believe and trust in him, we can have eternal life. Angels have no savior. They have no angel who has died for them and paid the penalty for them. So we should keep that in mind. I, and the re reason I say keep that in mind is that we didn't have to have a savior. We did not have to have a savior. But God loved us so much and he wanted to save us so much that we do have a savior and his name is Jesus Christ. They are very powerful, but they have limitations. So let me tell you a few things about angels, and especially this is true about fallen angels as well. Some of you may be worried, but they are not omniscient. They do not know everything, in other words. They are not omniscient. That means, omniscient means to know everything. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Angels, fallen angels, are not omniscient. They are not omnipresent. Big words, right? I'm sure you've heard them before. Omnipresent just means present everywhere. God is present everywhere. So God is here. God is outside the doors. He is in the farthest reaches of the universe. He is in the smallest places. He is present everywhere. Angels are not present everywhere. They can't be more than one place at one time. As true of fallen angels, as true of the good angels, the elect angels. They are not omnipotent. God is omnipotent. It's, it simply means that he is all-powerful. There's nothing too difficult for God to accomplish. The angels, the fallen angels, are not omnipotent. They are not, they are powerful, yes. They can create very much trouble in our world and in our life, but they are not omnipotent. We can say no to them, right? <laughs> Joseph said no when he was, you know, uh, tempted by Potiphar's wife. You know, one thing, he didn't stick around. He just fled the scene. We can say no. We can say no to the angelic beings who are tempting us. And so angels were meant to be these ministering spirits who were sent out to serve our sake for those of us to inherit salvation. But they are powerful, but Jesus is more powerful, amen? <laughs> they are powerful, he is all powerful. He is omnipotent. And so Jesus is superior to angels. First and foremost here, number one point, because he has a better 
more excellent name than the angels. And you might say, well, what in the world does that mean to have a better name? Well, the name in the Bible is important, right? So names in, in the Bible were more than just catchy phrases uh, to help us remember someone, but they actually had meaning. And we can prove that to ourselves just by using, you know, the name of Jesus. Jesus has the name Jesus. He has the name Emmanuel. He has the name Lord. Uh, he uh, has many names, and they each have significance and meaning. But the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs, according to verse 4. It says, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than, than theirs. Well, we need to find out what this name is, right? Well, it's not too far. It's in the, second, it's in the fifth verse, right after the fourth verse. For which of God, for which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son today, I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. So what is the name that is more excellent that he has been given? It's the name, the son of God, the son of God. So what's in a name? As I said, it's more than a catchy assembly of phrases of words, but names in the Bible mean something. We'll step back here a little bit. A name really in the Bible is a description of that person's sometime personality or his character or sometimes even his purpose. Remember Jacob, his name was Jacob. Jacob, does anyone remember what the meaning of Jacob is? Starts with a D. Deceiver. Deceiver, right. How'd you like to have that name? Mom and dad give you the name Deceiver. Did it pan, did it pan out that he was a deceiver? It, he did, right. I don't know how they knew it, but it panned out that way that he became a deceiver. But then he wrestled with God and he had a name change. He was, his name was changed to Israel, which means to strive with God. So we can see even by that example that names have significance and meaning. I mentioned Jesus has the name Emmanuel. It means God with us. Any significance there? I told that to a Jehovah Witness one time because Jehovah Witnesses deny that Jesus is God. I said, look here, it says that his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And they had really nothing to say. It's so plain, right? Names have significance. His name, other name, Jesus, is derived from Hebrew, Yeshua. Yeshua means deliverer, rescuer, or savior has significance, right? It tells us about that person. Another person also had that name, Joshua. Remember Joshua? Same root word of Yeshua, Joshua. He was the savior because he was the one who took the people into the promised land. It wasn't Moses. It was left up to Joshua, the savior, the, the deliverer to take them into the promised land. And so Jesus is greater than the angels because scripture here says that he is the only begotten son of God. He's greater. He's not an angel. He's not a created being. He's someone who's lasted from eternity past all the way through eternity future. He is the, the begotten son of God. Begotten merely refers not to the fact that he was physically born in this context, 
but it refers to his essence. He has a God essence, divine essence, which he has received from his father. And so in a sense, this is probably a bad analogy, but he has the same DNA as his father. He has the same DNA. He has that same essence. He is fully 100% God. We learned this in Sunday school, right? right? Funny how those lessons go together, but he's 100% God. He's 100% man. We will never be able to explain that, but it's true. That's why he is greater than the angels is because he comes from God. He has the same essence of God. Even the Pharisees knew this, right? Even the Pharisees knew to say that you are the son of God was equating yourself with God. That's why Jesus got in trouble, right? He got in trouble for that, claiming to be God, and they accused him of blasphemy. Why was it not a blasphemy? Because Jesus is God. <laughs> Jesus is God. And so Jesus has a superior name, and this is very important. We pray in that name, right? Yes. I mean, it's not just a... It's not just a title we tack on. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're praying with all the authority and power and everything that he has. So when you pray, remember that. So Jesus is superior because he has a better name, but Jesus is superior to angels because he is worthy of their worship just for the fact of who he is. He is worthy of their worship. Hebrews 1, 6b, and again, when we bring the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Let all God's angels worship him. Angels worship Jesus, not the other way around. We worship Jesus. We do not worship angels, right? John was presented in front of an angel in the book of Revelation. And he started to fall down at the feet of the angel and the angel rebuked him and said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God, <laughs> right? Set him pretty straight. I love that part. We do not worship angels. Although in the past, in our culture, it has come very close to people worshiping angels. We had television shows about angels. We have figurines that they sold about angels. Figurines really that probably did not properly represent them. By the way, we're not supposed to make figures of any heavenly objects, not just those of Jesus or of God. We're not supposed to make any graven image of those things that come from heaven. We are not to do that. We're not to worship angels, but we are to worship God. Men are not to worship any image. So just a little bit of background for you. The uh, second commandment says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. John, Jeremiah 17, 5, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. This is a theme which runs all the way through 
the Old Testament is that the people of Israel continually did not want to fully surrender to God. Everybody hear that? Because the same thing happens today. They don't, fully set, they don't fully surrender to God, but they hold back pieces of their life. And the nation of Israel was, was known for this, that they would say, yes, we trust in the Lord our God, but we got Israel over, we got Egypt over here. Just in case we got Egypt, in case the Babylonians come, we'll call on Egypt, we'll call on Syria. Uh, if you're going through FBI and reading the book of Isaiah, you know this is true, right? It's a very hard book to read, but it's pretty easy to figure out. God does not want us to uh, divide our attention, our heart with anyone. And so I'm thankful that Jesus is superior to the angels because I can give my full heart to him where it is deserved. Angels are to worship God only, and this means Jesus. If angels are to worship Jesus alone, then surely men should worship him alone as well. So Jesus has been given a name. We can look at Philippians 2, 10 through 11 to see that. And it says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. I think I like King James Version here. It says every knee shall bow. It's not optional, right? This will not be optional. <laughs> Everyone will bow the knee to Jesus at some time in the future. Everyone in this room. Everyone in this county. Everyone in this United States. Joe Biden will bow the knee to Jesus. Donald Trump will bow the knee to Jesus. Everyone you see on TV will bow the knee to Jesus. For most of them, it will be too late. That's why every time after our service, we give an opportunity for you to come forward, bow the knee to Jesus, and surrender your life to him. Jesus is worthy and he is superior to the angels because they were created to worship him. Thousands of thousands of angels in heaven worship God right now, worship Jesus. Jesus is also superior to angels because Jesus is God. We've already kind of been around the perimeter of this, but angels are very powerful, but Jesus is all-powerful. It's what it says in Matthew 28, right? We try to get to the baptism, the making disciples part, but verse 18, he says, all power and authority on heaven and earth has been granted to me. He is all powerful. Nothing too difficult for him to do, nothing too difficult for him to accomplish. He created the universe. It says very clearly, even in our text today, that he laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the work of his hand. He created men. He was there. Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Jesus was right there. Jesus created the angels. 7b, the second half of the verse 
in our reading here today, it says he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. He made them to be winds and his ministers a flame of fire. He made them to do that. He had the purpose for the angels. And then finally, Jesus is superior to angels because his throne is eternal. His rule is from everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning, has no end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the creator. One more time. Two more. One more. We know Jesus is superior since he is God's anointed one. <laughs> he is God's anointed one. He's the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the one with whom uh, he has been God's approval. He sits at the right hand of God, signifying a position of power and authority. And because he has been righteous. I think sometimes we underestimate the importance of Christ and his righteousness. What does it mean and what does it mean for us? What it means is that he always acts perfectly in character for who God is. There are certain things God can't do, right? God can't lie. God can't tempt or won't tempt us. There's things that he cannot do. But he is always righteous when he acts according to his character. And when he acts gracious, he is righteous. When he acts merciful, he is righteous. When he acts with wrath, he is just in doing so. And he is righteous in doing so. And here's one more thing that, of why Jesus is superior to the angels. And it's really not in our text today, but it will be in the book of Hebrews later on. Angels did not die for us. Jesus did. <laughs> Angels couldn't die for us because we're different creatures. But they didn't die for us. But Jesus did die to save us for our sins. No angel could do that. And so Jesus' sacrifice, we'll find later on in the book of Hebrews, was a superior sacrifice. And so, and so today as we're closing up, how do, we, how do we finish this out? Well, one thing we know for sure is that Jesus is superior to angels and he is in fact God. This is a foundation of our belief system and it makes a difference between us and groups like Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, uh, some Pentecostal oneness, what they call oneness churches, who deny that Jesus Christ is God and say that he is only a man. And so when you come up against those or you have a Jehovah Witness come to your door or a Mormon come to your door, or maybe you'll go to their door, right? Maybe we'll go to their door and we'll start talking to them about Christ. We have a very clear message that we are not ashamed of. Jesus is God. We worship him as God. But the other thing I want to close with today is that, and it goes back to verse 4. Uh, verse 3 after making purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high 
I just want to close with this idea that Jesus died to save us. And that salvation is available to you today. And I know many of you have made that decision for Christ many, many years ago. Many, many years before I came here and probably uh, years before I even got out of college and things like that. But uh, in the case that there's not one here today who does not know Christ, we offer that to you today. We offer to you salvation in the person of Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he died so that he could be a substitute for our sins. And what that means is that when you place your faith and trust in him for salvation, it means that his sin, your sins, have been uh, paid for by him and that he is a substitute in your place and that you can be totally forgiven because of placing your faith and trust in Christ in him. So let's worship him today as we stand and sing our song. Let's be, let's with glad voices uh, acknowledge him as that and also think about our own personal life. Have I truly been saved? If, if not, today would be the day to give your life to Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for Jesus, uh, the greatness that he is. He is greater. He is superior. He is more excellent. And the thing that has stuck with me today is that he is always here with us. Once we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, we are never alone. He never leaves us alone, but he sends us his spirit to dwell within us. So in times of loneliness, in times of despair, we can look toward him and know that he loves us. He's going to take care of us. Such a wonderful promise that we have. And my prayer is that if there's anyone here who doesn't experience that peace, the peace of knowing that your sins are forgiven, that they give their life to Christ today. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.